You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome to Wise Guys. These guys know sports here on this Friday, December the 15th, in the house with your boy Trey Larkins on the Wise Guys Sports Show. Everybody remember going to follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And we should have followed Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Come on in and sit it with our folks. We got an action, jam-packed show. So many things to discuss. On this wonderful Friday, happy Friday to everyone out there. It's the weekend. We are literally 10 days before Christmas, 11 days before yours truly birthday. My birthday is on the 26th. Definitely excited about that. Everybody go follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys No Sports. So many things to discuss on this afternoon's show. Cam Newton. Had some comments earlier in the week. Cam believes Brock Purdy, Tua Tagovailoa, Jared Goff, and Dak Prescott are game managers. I'm going to talk about whether or not I agree with Cam Newton later on in the show. Also, the NBA has suspended Draymond Green. We don't even know how long it's going to be. It's going to be indefinite for Draymond Green. So he has an indefinite suspension. So I'm going to discuss whether or not I agree with the NBA's decision to suspend Draymond Green indefinitely. And it's Friday, so you know what that means. It's my week 15 wise picks. I struggled in week 14, folks. I struggled. Six and eight record. I was six and six going into the Monday night games with the Dolphins and the Packers as favorites. And both the Packers and the Dolphins let me down. So I was six and eight in week 14. In my wise picks, so I expect to have a better week in week 15. So that's definitely something I'm looking forward to. So I'm giving y'all my NFL week 15 wise picks later on in the show. The number to dial is 513-203-8655, 513-203-8655. That is the number to dial. Any particular topic you want to discuss, we could talk about it on the show this afternoon. And call into the show, who is your current NFL MVP. Call to the show. Let me know who you guys believe is the current NFL MVP. Let's transition and let's go to the Thursday night football matchup that took place in Las Vegas. It was a beatdown that took place in Las Vegas, Nevada last night, folks. The Las Vegas Raiders beat the LA Chargers 63 to 21. Yes, that score is correct. 63 to 21 for the Chargers. The quarterback stick. He had 20. He went 23 of 32. He threw for 257 passing yards, three touchdowns, one interception for the Raiders. Aiden O'Connell. He went 20 of 34. He threw for 248 passing yards, four touchdowns. Devontae Adams. He had eight receptions, 101 receiving yards, one touchdown for the Raiders. Here's former Chargers head coach Brandon Staley after the game. First half, it's the worst that you can play. And 
Uh, it was in all three phases, and, you know, I take full responsibility. Do you expect to be the coach here tomorrow? I don't know that. Do you, do you think you should be? Yes. Why? I know that what I've done here for three years, and I know what I put into this, and, um, you know, I know that we're capable of going. Uh, I know the type of coach that I am. I believe in myself. What, what could you have done differently in, in preparation to get these guys better prepared to play tonight? It, everything. I didn't do anything well enough to get us ready to play tonight. And so if that's the case, then why why should you be the coach if, if that if that's games, games like this games like this happen in the NFL to every coach that's ever coached in this league you can look at any great coach that's ever coached in the league sometimes games like this happen but this is not like a normal occurrence no tonight was not a normal occurrence right. all the, everything that could could have gone wrong in all three phases went wrong that was Chargers head coach Brandon Staley he's the former head coach now of the LA Chargers as the L.A. Chargers have officially, officially fired former head coach Brandon Staley. They also fired general manager Tom Telesco as well. So the L.A. Chargers have cleaned house. And first and foremost, my reaction to the Chargers firing Brandon Staley is, it's about damn time. I mean, I've been calling for the L.A. Chargers to fire Brandon Staley for the last 10 weeks. Like, I thought, honestly, Brandon Staley was lucky, lucky to keep his job after last year in the postseason, the L.A. Chargers lost a 27-point lead to the Jacksonville Jaguars, and the Jacksonville Jaguars were able to overcome a 27-point lead in a game in which Trevor Lawrence played one of his worst halves of football in his life. Not just in the NFL, in his life. And Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars overcame a 27-point halftime deficit and beat the L.A. Chargers last year in the wild card playoff game. I said last year that if I'm the owner for the LA Chargers, I'm not allowing Brandon Staley back on the flight to LA. I'm firing him immediately after the game, and I'm going and finding me a competent NFL head coach that can lead Justin Herbert and this talented LA Chargers football team. And then this year, you look at what Brandon Staley has done this year. This is the Chargers' defensive ranks. Now, remember, Brandon Staley is a defensive head coach. This is his signature. This is his expertise. This is what he's supposed to be great at, okay? And I'm one of those people that I feel like if you are an offensive head coach, then the offensive side of the football should be the strength of the football team. You look at the Kansas City Chiefs. Besides this year, besides this year, the strength of the Chiefs has always been the offensive side of the football. Andy Reid's their head coach. He's an offensive head coach. Okay? Matt LaFleur with the Green Bay Packers. Matt LaFleur is an offensive head coach. So the Packers' offense 
has always been the strength of their football team. Mike McCarthy is an offensive head coach. The Cowboys offense, led by MVP candidate Dak Prescott, is the strength of their football team right now. Cowboys, having scored less than, I think, 23 points since week seven, they're averaging like 32 points per game. So I'm a believer that as a head coach, whichever side of the football is your expertise, that side of the football should be the strength of the team. And even if it's not the strength of the team, it should not be the side of the football that's struggling the most. And Brandon Staley is known for defense, right? But let's look at his de defensive statistics since he's been the head coach of the L.A. Chargers. In 2021, the Chargers gave – they were ranked 29th in points per game given up. They were ranked 23rd in yards per game given up. In 2022, they were ranked 21st in points per game given up. They were ranked 20th in yards per game given up. So they improved from what they were in 2021 going into the 2022. Now let's transition to this year. The Chargers, they are ranked 27th in points per game given up. They also are ranked 29th in yards per game given up. This is the Chargers defensive ranks under Brandon Staley. So the Chargers defense has gotten worse over the last three years since he's been the head coach. They've gotten worse. And the crazy part in all of this is when you look at the L.A. Chargers defensively, they got talent. Okay? In the secondary, you got Derwin James. As pass rushers, you got Khalil Mack. Okay? You got Bosa as well. And at linebacker, you got Eric Kendricks, Kenneth Murray. They got talent on the defensive side of the ball. So why is the Chargers so bad defensively? They're horrible. They are awful as a defensive football team. Now, offensively, you got Justin Herbert. And Justin Herbert is a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. I don't give a damn about what his record is. Justin Herbert is a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. And Brandon Staley couldn't get it right with Justin Herbert? You look at Brandon Staley since he's been the head coach of the L.A. Chargers. He's 24 and 24, so he's 500. And he's been to the playoffs once in three years. That was in 2022 when they gave up that 27-point lead and lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars. So I've been calling for Brandon Staley's job for the last 10 weeks. But even after they lost that 27-point lead to the Jacksonville Jaguars, I've said maybe it's a coaching issue with the Chargers. People want to keep blaming Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert was never the problem with the Chargers. Never. It's always been Brandon Staley. And I'm going to say something on the show that I know as a sports analyst and being a sports fan in my 32 years of living, I know this happened last night. Last night, during the Thursday night matchup, when the Chargers played against the Las Vegas Raiders, the Chargers as a team quit. They quit on Brandon Staley last night. That's what happened. They flat out quit. You can tell that 
the players, they no longer are listening to Brandon Staley, and they don't believe in the message that he's trying to preach in that locker room. So it was about damn time for the Chargers to fire Brandon Staley. About damn time. Those are my three words that I think about as I react to the Chargers finally, finally firing Brandon Staley. Now, I believe the Chargers, they have never had a history of firing coaches during the season. They always wait until after the season to dismiss head coaches. But I felt like there needed to be an exception in this situation involving Brandon Staley. It was time for Brandon Staley to go. Now, they fired their, their general manager as well, but I actually like the, ta the talent on this Chargers football team. You know, offensively, you got Justin Herbert, a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. You got to make a decision on what you're going to do with Austin Ekelar, but I still think at his best, Austin Ekelar is a top 10 running back in the NFL. At receiver, you got a true number one in Keenan Allen. You're going to get back Mike Williams next year. And you also have Joshua Palmer in that receiver room, Jalen Guyton. And in that tight end, you got Gerald Everett. And I like their left tackle as well, Rashad Slater. So this, this job for the L.A. Chargers is a job that I think would be a great, great head coaching opportunity for a future candidate. I really do. I, I like this, this opportunity for candidates that's going to try and an interview for this coaching job in L.A. I really do. You got Justin Herbert. You're in L.A., palm trees. So I think when you look at potential jobs that are going to be available once the season is over, I think the L.A. Chargers is, is at the top of that list for sure as for a head coach. For a potential head coach, this is the perfect job opportunity. You got a quarterback who's a franchise quarterback. You have talent around Herbert. And again, defensively, you got Khalil Mack. You got Joey Bosa as your pass rushers. You got Eric Kendricks at linebacker. And your secondary, you got Derwin James as well. And you're in L.A. with palm trees. L.A., palm trees, Justin Herbert, it doesn't get much better than that. Because usually when these head coaching opportunities are available, usually – you don't have a quarterback the caliber of a Justin Herbert. You don't. You just don't. I'm looking at some of these numbers from last night's game. The 63 points that the Raiders scored is the second most in a game after being shut out. That was what was telling for me. The Las Vegas Raiders didn't score a single point last week against the Minnesota Vikings. They didn't score a single point literally three days earlier then when they played the Chargers and they stepped on the field last night and put up 63 points, 63 points? Are you kidding me? You look at the halftime lead. The Raiders were beating the Chargers 42 to nothing. It is one of the four largest halftime leads in NFL history. This includes the playoffs. The only large, bigger halftime lead was in 2009. Patriots were leading over the Titans by 45 points. But this is one of the largest halftime leads in NFL history. 
And it was clear that it was time for the Chargers to move on from Brandon Staley. It was clear. But I think this job is a, is a nice opportunity for a future candidate out there. And, and I think the Chargers, if they can get the right coach into that system and they can pair him or her with Justin Herbert, I believe the Chargers will be set up for success. I really, really do. It's a quarterback-driven league. It's an offensive league. You already have a franchise quarterback. Usually, these job openings, you have to go out and draft a franchise quarterback. You already got a franchise quarterback in Justin Herbert. So, so I think that the Chargers, maybe they should try and target Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh loves Justin Herbert. And I know Jim Harbaugh wants to get back into the NFL. When he was the head coach for the San Francisco 49ers, he led the 49ers to a Super Bowl appearance. Jim Harbaugh paired up with Justin Herbert. That would be problems for other teams in the AFC. It would be for sure problems because this is a top-tier head coach and a top-ten quarterback being paired together. So keep, keep an eye out on the Chargers trying to interview Jim Harbaugh and get him away from Michigan. Bill Belichick, what if the Patriots move on from Bill Belichick and Bill Belichick wants to go and coach Justin Herbert? So these are, these are two candidates that I'm looking at for the Chargers that are potential candidates that they could go and, and look for to replace Brandon Staley. But as for the Raiders, the Raiders are 6-8. and eight. I don't think the Raiders are a playoff team in the AFC. I'm not going to all of a sudden feel like the Raiders are this playoff team because they blew out a, the Chargers whose season was already, already pretty much over. I'm not going to – like I'm looking at the Raiders' schedule. Week 16, they are in Kansas City against the Chiefs. That's a loss. Week 17, they're in Indy going up against Gardner Minshew and the Colts. That's a potential loss. And then week 18, they finish up at home against the Broncos. That's a potential loss as well. But I, I just don't think the Raiders are on the level of these other teams that's trying to get into the playoffs in the AFC. I would probably take the Bills over the Raiders. I would probably take the Colts over the Raiders. The way Jake Browning is currently playing, I'm probably taking the Bengals over the Raiders. So I, I just think the Raiders, they've kind of fallen far too back to make the playoffs. But um, I do think they should keep Antonio Pierce as their head coach. These players want Antonio Pierce to coach them, and they like the job that he's done since he's been their head coach. So I, I think Mark Davis should definitely seriously consider keeping Antonio Pierce. But great for the L.A. Chargers to finally, finally fire Brandon Staley. Now maybe they can bring a coach in there that can help Justin Herbert succeed and start making noise in the AFC. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys No Sports. I'll be right back. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
Welcome back to Wise Guys. These guys know sports. Here live on the Worldwide Sports Network. Everybody remember going to follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Number to dial 513-203-8655. 513-203-8655. That is the number to dial. Any particular topic you want to discuss, we can talk about it on the show this afternoon. And it's NFL week. 15, so I'm going to preview Josh Allen versus Dak Prescott. Also, Lamar Jackson versus Trevor Lawrence as well. Matchup is going to take place in Jacksonville. So some big-time matchups in the NFL over the weekend, mostly AFC teams, mostly with the Ravens, Jags, and Bills. But the Cowboys, they definitely trying to win the NFC East and trying to Get into that number one seed conversation. Who's going to finish with the best record and number one seed in the NFC? Will it be the Niners? Will it be the Cowboys? Will it be the Philadelphia Eagles? So a lot of things still to be ironed out as we head into the final four weeks of the NFL season. Let's transition and let's go to the association and let's talk about Draymond Green as the NBA suspended Draymond Green indefinitely. And this decision takes into account, quote, a repeated history of unsportsmanlike acts. This is Draymond Green's sixth career suspension. This comes after Draymond Green. He swung and hit Yusef Nurkic for the Phoenix Suns and the NBA says Green will not be eligible to return until he meets, quote, certain league and team conditions. And here's Golden State Warriors general manager Mike Dunleavy on Draymond Green after the NBA handed down the suspension. Anybody that has an amount of games or time suggested or in their head, I'm just telling you right now is wrong because we don't we don't have that. Um, I don't think Draymond has that. I don't think the league has that. So anything beyond that is hearsay. I think we think for now the healthiest, healthiest thing is for him to be around. And, um, you know, that it may not be every single day, but uh, you know, we're not jettisoning the guy off somewhere. Is it still the organization's expectation that this is a long-term partnership with Draymond? Yeah, I think so. You know, we're committed to him. He's been here for a long time. He's hung a ton of banners and means so much to this organization. And um, like I said before, I think this is about, um, you know, turning this thing into a positive and getting better. And so I think that happens and, you know, we feel really good because, again, his play has been terrific. Um, it's just been his lack of, a, lack of a availability that's, that's not been great and we want to make that better. That was General Manager Mike Dunleavy for the Golden State Warriors. And so my reaction to the NBA suspending Draymond Green indefinitely is it's well-deserved. And I don't say that with enthusiasm, and I, it doesn't. It kind of pains me, honestly, to say that the NBA got it right suspending Draymond Green indefinitely because I respect the hell out of Draymond Green. You look at Draymond Green. He is a four-time NBA champion, four-time NBA All-Star, 
He won an NBA Defensive Player of the Year Award back in 2017. He's been on the All-NBA First Team Defensive Team four times in his career. He's been on the All-NBA Defensive Second Team four times in his career. And he has been the heart and soul of the Golden State Warriors dynasty. Yes, Steph Curry is the greatest shooter that God has ever created, and he's the best player during this Golden State Warriors dynasty. But Draymond Green has been the heart and soul of this Golden State Warriors basketball team during their dynasty, and he's been the defensive anchor since the Warriors became a dynasty when they won their first championship back in 2015. But after I witnessed Draymond Green literally, literally slap Nurkic in the Warriors-Suns game a few nights ago, I thought to myself, I can no longer defend Draymond Green anymore. I can't defend Draymond anymore. You look at Draymond Green. He has the second most ejections and this is in the last 25 seasons. He has the second most ejections with 18 ejections. Only player who's been ejected more than Draymond Green is Rasheed Wallace. And he's has been ejected 18 times in his career. But if you look at what he's done over the last year, this is within the last year, he was suspended for one game. In March, earlier this year, and he picked up his 16th technical. He was also suspended in April for one game because he got into it with Sabonis, and he basically stumped out Sabonis. And so they got into it, and he was suspended for one game during the playoff series last year between the Warriors and the Kings. And then he got suspended last month with the altercation involving Rudy Gobert, where he choked out Rudy Gobert, MMA style, and pretty much dragged him across the floor. Now, he's had other suspensions. He was suspended in 2018 for conduct detrimental to the team. And then remember, in the 2016 NBA Finals, Game 4 in Cleveland, he got into an altercation with LeBron. He was suspended for one game. Honestly, that cost the Warriors a championship because if Draymond Green doesn't get suspended in game five of the 2016 NBA Finals, I don't believe, me personally, I don't believe the Cleveland Cavaliers overcome a 3-1 deficit and beat the Golden State Warriors. And remember, in that NBA Finals, Draymond Green not only cost himself a championship, he cost himself a chance to win NBA Finals MVP. Make no mistake about it. Draymond Green was going to be the NBA Finals MVP had they beaten the Cleveland Cavaliers in the 2016 NBA Finals. But this, this, this suspension is warranted because, and, I, and I've been listening to the NBA and, and the statements that they've made. This is the thing right now with Draymond Green and the Warriors and, and what's going on with the suspension. The NBA is not suspending Draymond Green to necessarily punish Draymond Green. They're suspending Draymond Green so they can figure out what the hell is going on with Draymond Green. That's what we have to keep in mind here. Like, this is not about punishing Draymond Green. Clearly, punishing Draymond Green has not worked. It hasn't worked, 
Okay, within the last year, he's been suspended four times, four times. So punishing Draymond Green is not working for the NBA. So now the NBA, along with the Players Association, they're trying to figure out what the hell is going on with Draymond Green. What's going on? Is, is it some off-the-court issues that he's dealing with at home? What's going on with Draymond? Because we continue to have incident after incident after incident. And after he slapped Nurkic, I thought to myself, I can no longer support Draymond Green. And we now have to figure out what the hell was going on with Draymond Green. Because now you got NBA players speaking out against Draymond Green. Like we heard Nurkic say in the post-game press conference, he said, whatever help he needs, I hope he can get the help that he needs. And we also heard Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant, a former teammate and friend of Draymond Green, also came out and said, I'm hoping he can get the help that he needs with whatever he's dealing with. That's what Kevin Durant said about Draymond Green. So now you got players in the NBA who are essentially saying, I don't feel safe on the basketball court with Draymond Green. The NBA has to figure this out. And the thing is, Draymond, he has to be accountable and deal with whatever issues that he's dealing with off the court so he can get back on the court. And no one in this situation is going to support Draymond Green anymore. They're not. When I heard Steve Kerr, Steve Kerr finally, finally came out and he held Draymond Green accountable. This was Steve Kerr. This was, I believe this was last night. Steve Kerr, he said, this is on Draymond Green's indefinite suspension. This is Steve Kerr. He says, the one who choked Rudy Gobert, the one who took a wild flail at Nurkic, the one who punched Jordan Poole last year, that's the guy who needs to change. And the first thing I thought to myself when I heard Steve Kerr say those things about Draymond Green, it's about damn time, Steve. I kept hearing Steve Kerr time and time and time again go and defend Draymond Green in post-game press conferences, and I kept thinking to myself, when is he going to hold Draymond Green accountable? When is it, if, if the Warriors organization is not holding Draymond Green accountable, then he doesn't feel like he's necessarily wrong when he has these incidents on the basketball court. Why the hell would he ever stop if the organization is not holding him accountable? That's what, that, that, I was so happy that I finally saw Steve Kerr finally, finally hold Draymond accountable. It's about damn time. It's about damn time. But the thing is, too, keep in mind, Joe Dumars, he's the VP for basketball operations for the NBA. He's the one who handles disciplinary action for NBA players and so forth. He is a part of this decision to suspend Draymond Green indefinitely. You know who else is a part of this decision? Andre Iguodala. Andre Iguodala is the interim executive director for the Players Association right now. And Andre Iguodala, who's a former teammate of Draymond Green and a friend of Draymond Green, was also a part of the decision to suspend him indefinitely. So Draymond, he doesn't have anyone who has his back in this situation 
So he has to hold himself accountable. I'm a big believer in, like, when, I, when you deal with people and people and their imperfections. If, as an individual, I'm going to just speak from a man's perspective. If my girlfriend's telling me something, I might listen to it. I might not. If my best friend is telling me something, I might listen to it. I might not. If my sister is telling me something about myself, I might listen to it. I might not. But once it gets to multiple family and friends telling you about yourself, at some point, you have to look in the mirror as an individual. Because, you know, a lot of times when people do things in life, you have someone who enables them. And they tell them, oh, it's not that bad. It's okay. You good. Keep being you. Keep doing what makes you happy. But once you have multiple people in your life who are important to you, telling you that you're wrong, and they're holding you accountable, usually that's when people start holding themselves accountable because they no longer have anyone to enable them. But Steve Kerr's recent comments tells me that no one in the Warriors organization, no one supports Draymond Green right now when it comes to the actions that has happened on the basketball court. They don't support it. Now, the one person, I will admit, the one person that we haven't heard from, but I do believe that it's a possibility that he's talking to Draymond Green privately, but he hasn't said anything publicly, is Steph Curry. Which leads me to where I want to go next with what I'm talking about. Uh, ESPN's Stephen A. Smith, he was on first take, and they were talking about the situation involving Draymond Green, and they were discussing Steph Curry's leadership. They were not questioning Steph Curry's leadership. They were basically talking about how if LeBron was in this situation, how he would be held accountable to have to hold Draymond Green accountable, basically. And they were saying that LeBron would not be allowed to just not have anything to say about it and not call out Draymond Green. Everybody know, and I agree with Stephen A. 100% on this, and I agree with Kendrick Perkins, everybody. Dray Draymond Green, if he was playing for the Lakers, LeBron James would not, would not be able to just not speak on Draymond Green publicly and let it be known that Draymond Green is tripping and needs to get his act together. We hold LeBron James to a different standard. And all Stephen A. was saying, well, and, and, and Kendrick Perkins, all they were saying was, why don't we hold Steph Curry to that same standard that we hold LeBron James to? And I 1,000% agree. I couldn't agree more. I agree 100% because at some point, we have to look at the leadership on this basketball team and wonder, why the hell hasn't anybody pulled Draymond Green to the side and said, bro, what the hell are you doing? What, what are you doing? Like, we need you in order to compete in the Western Conference. We need you in order to compete for another NBA championship. This Warriors dynasty has won four NBA championships. Steph wants to win another championship. And Steph Curry is still in his prime. But the only way that Steph Curry will have a chance to win a fifth NBA championship is if Draymond Green is in the lineup and available. And we all know best ability is availability.
And the Golden State Warriors, in order for them to be contenders in the Western Conference, they need Draymond Green in lineup. He needs to be that enforcer for this basketball team. The same way Dennis Rodman was the enforcer for the Chicago Bulls. The same way Bill Lambeer was the enforcer for the Detroit Pistons at one point. The Warriors need their enforcer in Draymond Green. And if Draymond Green doesn't get his act together, it's a possibility that Draymond Green could be out of the league. They're not suspending Draymond Green for a punishment here. They're suspending Draymond Green to find out what the hell was going on with Draymond Green. And we don't want to see Draymond Green out of the league. We don't want to see his Hall of Fame career come to an end like this. This ain't how it's supposed to be. And honestly, even when you look at the Warriors, Clay Thompson's struggling. He's having one of his worst seasons shooting the basketball right now. Andrew Wiggins, he's been awful so far this season. The Warriors are struggling overall as a basketball team right now. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm wondering, like, man, is the, are the Warriors even going to make the play-in? Are they going to make the play-in? Because it's, it's just not looking good. And you look at their and where they are right now in the, in the Western Conference, they're struggling mightily right now. I'm, kind of, I'm trying to put up the Warriors' record. I can't find their, their, their record right now. But they have a losing record. The Warriors have a, a losing record, and they're not playing good basketball. They lost to the Clippers last night, 10-14. and 14. That's the Warriors' record right now, 11th in the Western Conference. Draymond Green, we have to find out what the hell was going on with Draymond Green off the basketball court, and I think that's the first priority right now. Find out what's going on with Draymond Green. I, I don't have a problem with the indefinite suspension. But I do believe that they have to get Draymond Green the help that he needs. Because even people who support and love Draymond Green, they're not supporting him in this situation. They are no longer supporting him in his acts overall in general. So, again, like, this is one of the best enforcers in NBA history. He's one of the best defensive players in NBA history. And in order for the Warriors to be contenders, in the Western Conference, they're going to need to get back Draymond Green, and they're going to have to figure out what's going on with him. What's going on with him? Because I've always been a supporter of Draymond. Like, I've never had a problem with Draymond defending his teammates. He's, Draymond is literally a perfect example of a friend who's a ride-or-die friend and going to have your back through thick and thin. That's Draymond Green. Draymond Green, as a teammate, teammate and as a brother, is the perfect, perfect person to have as a brother or a teammate or a friend. He's the perfect person because he's going to ride or die with his teammates and his friends and his brothers. But it's gotten out of hand what's going on with Draymond Green with these suspensions. And I'm glad the NBA has basically suspended him indefinitely, not for a punishment, but because they want to find out what's going on with Draymond Green internally and fix those issues so he can return back to the basketball court. But those are my thoughts on Draymond Green being suspended by the NBA. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys No Sports. Be right back. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back to Wise Guys. These Guys No Sports. Here live on the Worldwide Sports Network. Hey, remember going follow Wise Guys on Twitter at Wise Guys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. 
And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys No Sports. Remember, number to dial is 513-203-8655. 513-203-8655. That is the number to dial. Any particular topic you want to discuss, we could talk about it on the show this afternoon. And I'm going to give my NFL Week 15 Wise Picks here in a bit. So definitely tune in. Let's transition and let's go to... The NFL, as Cam Newton had some interesting comments on Brock Purdy, Tua Tagovailoa, Jared Goff, and Dak Prescott. Take a listen for yourself. Brock Purdy, Tua Tagovailoa, Jared Goff, and really, Dak Prescott. Hmm. These are game managers. They're, they're not difference makers. When you say game manager, I'm not asking you to go out and win the game. I'm just asking you not to lose. Not to lose the game. Exactly. That's, listen, <laughs> I don't give a damn what you do. You don't have to score every time. You just don't have to throw a pick every time either. If we're going to really call a spade a spade, there's a difference between managers of the game and difference makers of a game. Those were Cam Newton's comments. I should say controversial comments that were on his podcast. This podcast is the fourth and one podcast with Cam Newton. And so, first and foremost, when I look at this situation with Cam Newton and dissect his comments, the first thing I want to get out the way, because I watch and listen to people's reactions to Cam Newton. And I heard people talk about how, oh, Cam Newton talking about Brock Purdy, Tua Tagovailoa, Jared Goff, and Dak Prescott. At least they're in the NFL. He's a backup quarterback who last time he was in the NFL was a backup. Like, he's not even in the league anymore to be speaking on what's going on with current quarterbacks. I heard some people even talk about how Cam Newton got benched for Matt Jones when he was in New England. And... That's where I want to start first and where I want to go first. Do y'all know who the hell Cam Newton is? Cam Newton. This is in his career at being a quarterback in college and in the NFL. Cam Newton. He won an NFL MVP back in 2015. He was the offensive player of the year as well in 2015. He's a three-time Pro Bowl quarterback. He won two, not one, two national championships at the University of Auburn. Okay? He won a Heisman Trophy in 2010. But let's look at his statistics as a quarterback in the NFL, shall we? Cam Newton, 194 touchdowns, 123 interceptions. 32,382 passing yards, completing 60% of his passes. Cam Newton is one of the best dual-threat quarterbacks in NFL history, and he's a top-20 quarterback of all time. Cam Newton is more than qualified to be able to critique and criticize current NFL quarterbacks people are really critiquing cam instead of actually critiquing and talking about 
his assessment. We Instead of us discussing his assessment on Brock Purdy, Tua Tagovailoa, Jared Goff, and Dak Prescott, instead of talking about that, we're talking about Cam Newton as the individual. And people talking about Cam like Cam was some bum. Cam Newton was one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL in his prime with the Carolina Panthers. Now, before I get into whether or not I agree with Cam and his assessment on the so-called gang managers, it's a show that I watch called The Herd. It's Colin Cowherd's show on Fox Sports. Jason McIntyre was in for Colin, and he was discussing Cam Newton's comments on Purdy, Golf, Tagovailoa, and Prescott. And McIntyre said that Dak Prescott has had a better career than Cam Newton. What the hell has McIntyre been watching over the last 10 years? Because Cam Newton had a better career than Dak Prescott had. Now, when you look at their numbers, right, let's look at their numbers in their career. Cam Newton, his career record as a quarterback is 75-68-1. Dak Prescott's record is 71-39. and But let's remember, Dak Prescott is playing for a better organization than what Cam played with in Carolina. The Cowboys organization is a better organization than the Panthers organization. So that matters, and that is a factor when you compare quarterbacks and their accomplishments and accolades. Let's go to completion percentage. Cam completed 60% of his passes in his career. Dak Prescott has completed 67% of his passes. So I'll give Dak the edge in completion percentage. Now, Dak Prescott... He averages 259 passing yards per game. Cam averaged 219 passing yards per game. I would say that Dak Prescott was a better pocket passer than Cam Newton, but he was never the athlete that Cam Newton was in his prime. Do y'all understand what Cam Newton was doing in Carolina? The year when the Panthers went to the Super Bowl, the year when the Panthers were 15-1, and one, do y'all know who Cam Newton's best receiver and number one option on that Panthers football team was? Do y'all know who it was? Ted Ginn. Ted Ginn. That was the best receiver on that Carolina Panthers team that went 15-1 and and got to the Super Bowl. Dak Prescott has had the luxury of playing with the likes of Des Bryant, CeeDee Lamb, but yet... McIntyre says that Prescott has had a better career than Cam Newton. Makes no sense. It makes no sense. Also, not only has Dak Prescott had more weapons than Cam Newton ever had. Now, Cam Newton, now real quick, too, I'm going to say this. Cam Newton did play with Steve Smith. Steve Smith played in the NFL for 16 years. When Cam Newton came into the NFL in 2011, Steve Smith was entering his 11th season in the NFL. So Steve Smith wasn't in his prime anymore. He was still a good receiver, but he wasn't great anymore. And that was the best receiver Cam has ever played with, Steve Smith, and he was out of his prime. Again, Dak played with Des Bryant and CeeDee Lamb, both receivers who are number one receivers. So also, has Dak Prescott ever won an NFL MVP? 
Now, he might win MVP this year, but even if he won MVP this year, he's never had the career that Cam Newton had, considering that Prescott has never, never even reached an NFC Championship game. In one season, Cam Newton did more than what Dak Prescott has ever done throughout his career. Talk to me when Dak Prescott first wins the NFL MVP and second reaches not the Super Bowl, but at least an NFC championship. And then we could talk about whether or not his career is comparable to a Cam Newton. But I have to address that Cam had a better career than Dak Prescott. Now, let me get to these game managers that Cam Newton was talking about. Brock Purdy, Tua Tagovailoa, Jared Goff, and Dak Prescott. I agree with Cam Newton on 75% of what he said about these four being game managers. Because this year, aside, I would say Dak Prescott's been way more than a game manager. This year, Dak Prescott is balling. He really, really is. So far this year, Dak Prescott, 28 touchdowns, six interceptions, over 3,500 passing yards. Dak Prescott arguably is having the best season of his career. He's playing some great football this year, for sure. So I don't think Dak Prescott has been a game manager this season. But I agree with Cam Newton about Brock Purdy, Tua Tagovailoa, and Jared Goff. And let's go down the list. Let's talk about Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy this year, 25 touchdowns, seven interceptions, 3,553 passing yards, and he's completing 70% of his passes. I know Brock Purdy is leading in some major categories at the quarterback position. I know Brock Purdy, since he's been in the NFL, Brock Purdy, his record as a starter is 15-3. and three. But, folks, do you believe that Brock Purdy would be what he is if he didn't have Kyle Shanahan as his head coach? Do you believe that Brock Purdy would be playing the way that he's playing if he didn't have Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, and George Kittle? Wait. Wait. We got evidence. We got evidence as to how Purdy struggled when he didn't have Debo Samuel, when he didn't have Trent Williams, an all-pro tackle. We got evidence. You know what happened in those three games without Debo Samuel, without Trent Williams? The 49ers were 0-3. It was the worst part of the season for the 49ers. That's when they played their worst football. And they had failed to 5-3 and three before their bye week after they got blew out by the Bengals. So if Brock Purdy didn't have an all-pro tight end in George Kittle, if he didn't have an all-pro receiver in Debo Samuel, if he didn't have an all-pro tackle in Trent Williams, if he didn't have an all-pro running back in Christian McCaffrey, how good would Brock Purdy be? Again, can Brock Purdy play the quarterback position? Absolutely. Is he an upgrade over Jimmy Garoppolo? Absolutely. Are the 49ers a better football team with Brock Purdy compared to what they were with Jimmy Garoppolo? Absolutely. But Brock Purdy is not a game changer. He's a game manager. Okay, let's talk about 
Tua Tagovailoa. Tua Tagovailoa this year, he has 24 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, 3,697 passing yards. He's completing 70% of his passes this year. When I look at Tua Tagovailoa, how good was Tua Tagovailoa before Tyreek Hill arrived in Miami? I'll tell you how good he was. In 2021, this is without Tyreek Hill. Tua went 16 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, 2,600 passing yards. And remember, before Tyreek Hill arrived in Miami, former head coach Brian Flores, he was trying to recruit Tom Brady to Miami. He was trying to recruit Deshaun Watson to Miami. Okay, like Brian Flores wasn't sold on Tua Tagovailoa. Tua Tagovailoa has had the success that he's had in 2022 and in 2023 because of Tyreek Hill. He would not be playing as great as he's playing if he didn't have Tyreek Hill. Less than a week ago, we had another example as to how Tua struggles when Tyreek Hill is not in the lineup. This is on a Monday night, week 14, going up against the Tennessee Titans. The Tennessee Titans, whose season is over. Tua Tagovailoa, he goes 23 of 33, great completion percentage, 240 passing yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. His quarterback rating was 90.5. He got outplayed by Will Levis in the fourth quarter. Now, for the game, Will Levis did throw an interception, so he had more turnovers in that game than Tua had, but he had more passing yards than Tua had, and he had a better fourth quarter than Tua had. So before Tua had got Tyreek Hill in Miami, and before Mike McDaniel became the head coach for the Miami Dolphins, how good was Tua? We, it was questions about whether or not Tua is the franchise quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. Tua similar to Brock Purdy, is also not, not a game changer, but a game manager. Let's talk about Jared Goff. Look at Jared Goff this year. Jared Goff, 21 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, 3,449 passing yards. He's completing 67% of his passes. I look at Jared Goff. I feel like Jared Goff started off the season playing very, very well. But over the last few weeks, Jared Goff has not been playing well. He hasn't been playing well, and he's been turning the ball over at a high level. Against the Bears last week, Jared Goff had two interceptions. He also fumbled the football as well on a fumbled snap. So we've seen Jared Goff have moments where he plays some good football, but he's also had his moments where he plays bad football. Now, Jared Goff did reach a Super Bowl with the L.A. Rams, but they lost. What happened when the L.A. Rams traded for Matthew Stafford, a quarterback who I view as more than a game manager? He's a game changer. What happened? Oh, Sean McVay and the L.A. Rams won the Super Bowl. They won the Super Bowl. Just They, they just won the Super Bowl. And that proved that there's a difference in a game manager like Jared Goff and a game changer like Matthew Stafford. Now, even though I agree with Cam Newton that Brock Purdy 
Tua Tagovailoa and Jared Goff and Dak Prescott at times throughout his career, even though I agree with Cam that these are game managers, that doesn't mean that there aren't times when these quarterbacks who are game managers have great performances. Okay, Rock Purdy, Tua Tagovailoa, Jared Goff, and Dak Prescott can have a great performance. You can even win a Super Bowl with these quarterbacks. But the biggest difference in a game manager and a game changer is to me, and I said this yesterday, I was on a post, and I made a post about the whole, you know, Cam Newton's comments on Purdy, Tagovailoa, Golf, and Dak Prescott. And someone asked me, they said, you know, what is your definition of a game manager compared to a game changer? And it was my my guy, my, my boy Raphael Haynes. Um, if you go, go check out the three-point conversion podcast on all social media platforms, he asked me, what's the difference in a game manager and a game changer? I'm going to read this, what I said. I said, to me, a game manager is a system player, a player who thrives in a system, and their success is based around a system, not their individual talent slash skill set. In my eyes, your team cannot win with the game manager if your team has a lot of deficiencies. A game changer, on the other hand, can thrive in any system based on their individual talent slash skill set. And honestly, you can win with the game changer even if your team has significant deficiencies. Now, you want me to name the quarterbacks in the NFL who I believe are game changers? It's only a few of them. It's only a few. Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts is starting to elevate into being a game changer for me. Jalen Hurts as well. Aaron Rodgers, when he's healthy, is also a game changer. And that's it. That's it. Matthew Stafford, to me, is he's, he's starting to, you can tell that Matthew Stafford is out of his prime. Even though he had a great performance against the Ravens last week, Matthew Stafford, to me, is no longer necessarily a game changer. He can still have some moments. But I, those are my game changers to me, like the elite quarterbacks, top tier. Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts, and Aaron Rodgers. Those are the top-tier quarterbacks and the game-changer who I feel like are quarterbacks you can win a Super Bowl with despite what your roster looks like. But Brock Purdy, Tua Tagovailoa, Jared Goff, and Dak Prescott prior to this season are quarterbacks you need things around them to be working properly in order for your team to contend for a Super Bowl. So... I agree with Cam Newton on 75% of what he said. The only exception would be Dak Prescott this season. But I agree with Cam Newton 100% about Brock Purdy, Tua Tagovailoa, and Jared Goff. 49er fans want to give me that stuff about Brock Purdy and Brock Purdy being an NFL MVP candidate. 
what happened to Brock Purdy in those three games without Trent Williams, without Debo Samuel, with the, with the unhealthy Christian McCaffrey? What happened to Brock Purdy? 0-3, had his worst stretch of football during the season. Oh, Tua is a game changer. You're disrespecting Tua. Before Mike McDaniel arrived in Miami, Brian Flores was recruiting Deshaun Watson and Tom Brady to come in quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. Before Tyreek Hill arrived in Miami, Tua Tagovailoa wasn't even viewed as a franchise quarterback. Oh, you're disrespecting Jared Goff. What happened when Jared Goff left the Rams? The Rams traded for Matthew Stafford, and they traded a game manager for a game changer, and they won a Super Bowl. We got to stop acting like all these dudes are equivalent or on the same stratosphere. They're not. They're not. Yes, these game managers can have moments where they perform like a game changer, but as an overall player and their individual skill sets, these game managers are not on the same level as these game changers that I recently just named. Everybody go follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Be right back. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Wise guys, these guys know sports here live on the Worldwide Sports Network. Everybody remember going to follow Wise Guys on Twitter at Wise Guys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Let me sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Let's transition to one of the most anticipated matchups of week 15 in the NFL. It's Dak Prescott versus Josh Allen. It's the 10 and 3. Dallas Cowboys traveling to Buffalo to take on the seven and six Buffalo Bills. The Bills are favored by two points. It's a 4:25 p.m. kickoff. The over/under for this matchup is 50.5. So when I look at this matchup with the Cowboys and the Bills, both teams need to win in Week 15. Cowboys and the Bills for different reasons. The Cowboys, at 10-3, they just beat the Philadelphia Eagles in Week 14, and they're trying to not only win the NFC East, but they're also trying to be the number one seed in the NFC and have the road to the Super Bowl have to go through Dallas. They're 10-3 right now, and I believe that they have the same record as the 49ers. Yeah, the 49ers are 10-3 as well, but the 49ers hold the tiebreaker over the Cowboys because the 49ers blew out the Cowboys, I believe it was in week five of the season. So the Cowboys, though, even if they don't secure the number one seed in the NFC, they at least could possibly be the number two seed 
and they could host a home playoff game all the way until they get to the NFC Championship game. If they have to face the 49ers, they have to go to San Francisco in the NFC Championship game. But in the wild card round and the divisional round, the Cowboys would, would host a home playoff game. So they're, they're hoping for the Eagles to drop one of their final four games and the Cowboys went out and they could be the number two seed in the NFC. Now the Buffalo Bills, on the other hand, they're in a race right now in the AFC wild card. They are seven and six, but it's so many teams right now that seven and six in the AFC off the top of my head. I think the Denver Broncos are seven and six. The Cincinnati Bengals are seven and six. The Indianapolis Colts are seven and six. The Pittsburgh Steelers, I believe, are seven and six. So it's a lot of teams right now who are sitting at seven and six. And the Bills essentially have to win out to make the playoffs. Like they, they have to win out. They have to at least try to finish eleven and six. I don't believe the Bills can afford another loss. So this is the playoffs for the Bills. Their playoffs has already started. And you look at their schedule over the last three weeks after this game against the Cowboys, week 16, they are in L.A. to play the Chargers. That should be a win. But then week 17, they are home against the Patriots. That should be a win. Week 18, they are in Miami against Tua and the Dolphins, which will be a tough game because the Dolphins are trying to be the number one seed. But by that time, maybe the Ravens might have wrapped up the number one seed in the AFC so the Dolphins may have to settle for the two or three seed. So this game against the Bills possibly could be meaningless for the Dolphins, depending on if they keep winning out. If the Dolphins continue to win the next few games, they'll win the AFC East. So they may not have anything to play for in Week 18 against the, the Bills. The Bills are trying to get into the playoffs. They're going to try to play their starters. And so the Bills got to finish basically 11-6 and six to make the postseason. So big-time game for both teams. now. When I look at the Cowboys, obviously the Cowboys, they are led by Dak Prescott. And so far this year, Dak Prescott has 30 total touchdowns. He has seven turnovers. He's thrown for 3,505 passing yards, completing 69% of his passes. His passer rating is 107.5. Let's flip the script to Josh Allen. Josh Allen, 35 total touchdowns. 17 turnovers, 3,447 passing yards. He's completing 67% of his passers, passes. His passer rating is 93.4. Obviously, Josh Allen is better than Dak Prescott is. But Dak Prescott is having a better season this year than the season that Josh Allen is having. And honestly, for this type of game, believe it or not, I probably would trust Dak Prescott a little bit more than Josh Allen. But Josh Allen also is a wild card because, and Mike McCarthy this week in his, in his presser, he compared Josh Allen to Brett Favre. And I agree with Mike McCarthy because Josh Allen has that wild factor to where Josh Allen he could throw four touchdowns, but he could also throw four interceptions. He's, a, he's, he's literally hot and cold as a quarterback. And Josh Allen, it's really not about if he's going to give you an opportunity 
from a defensive perspective to create a turnover. It's about win. And it's the same with Brett Favre. So I agree with Mike McCarthy, but Brett Favre was a little bit better than Josh Allen was. Brett Favre had won multiple NFL MVPs. Like, you look at, if you compare Josh Allen and his career at this point and Brett Favre, Brett Favre had already won, I believe, two NFL MVPs. And so Brett Favre also led the Packers to two Super Bowl appearances. Now, they only won one of those Super Bowls. But Brett Favre, I would say, is a little bit more accomplished than Josh Allen is. Now, the thing about Josh Allen, we know that, again, as a game changer, Josh Allen is a top 10, maybe even top five quarterback, depending on who you ask, in the NFL. But Josh Allen is not on the level of a Lamar Jackson or a Joe Burrow or Patrick Mahomes, in my eyes. He's not. And that's the thing. Like, I don't never, I've never really looked at Josh Allen as being the best quarterback in the NFL. But Josh Allen is still a top five quarterback and one of the best quarterbacks in the league. I think that at one point there was a time where Brett Favre was the best quarterback in the NFL and he was balling. But I look at the Cowboys, right? Cowboys are playing some great football. You can make the argument that the Dallas Cowboys are the hottest team in the NFL right now. You look at what they've been able to do since the beginning of the season. The Cowboys, they haven't scored less than, I think they haven't scored less than 23 points since like week five, and they are averaging this year 32 points per game. Dallas Cowboys this year are averaging 32 points per game. That's ranked first in the NFL. Obviously, you led by Dak Prescott, an MVP candidate, but at receiver, you got CeeDee Lamb. You got Brandon Cooks, who's been playing some nice football over the last few weeks. You got Michael Gallup as well. At tight end, you got Jake Ferguson, okay? And I think Jake Ferguson has been a reliable option at the tight end position for Dak Prescott in this offense. And in the backfield, you got Tony Pollard. And Tony Pollard is having a decent season. But I like the Cowboys' offensive line. You got Tyler Bedaz at center, at right guard. You got Zach Martin. You got Terrence Steele at right tackle. But I love the left side of their offensive line. Left guard, you got Tyler Smith. Left tackle, you got Tyron Smith. So this Cowboys offense has been the best offense so far this season. They're putting up a lot of numbers offensively. They really, really are. Now, defensively, they have a pretty solid defense, and they're playing some, some good football. Demarcus Lawrence up front. Obviously, you got one of the best defensive players in the NFL, Micah Parsons. Okay, you got Damone Clark at linebacker in that secondary. You got Stephon Gilmore. And you also have Deron Bland. Now, Deron Bland is one of those defensive backs. He can give up a touchdown, but he can also take a pick six the other way for the Cowboys. So I, I noticed over the last few weeks, the Cowboys, they played against the Seahawks in week 13. So they were playing against DK Metcalf. And also in week 14 against the Eagles, they're going up against A.J. Brown. The Cowboys made an adjustment. They put Stephon Gilmore, the veteran, on D.K. Metcalf in the second half, I believe. And in the game against the Eagles, they had Gilmore matched up against A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown, honestly, in that game against the, the Cowboys, he didn't have, he didn't have a, a great performance. A.J. Brown in that game, nine receptions for 94 receiving yards. That just shows how great A.J. Brown is, but... Anytime you can hold A.J. Brown under 100 yards, I would say that's a pretty successful job by that defense. 
So I, Cowboys defensively, they're starting to put it come together. If they continue to play complimentary football, they will be one of the best teams heading into the playoffs. Now you look at the Buffalo Bills. Obviously, they're led by Josh Allen. At the in the receiver room, you still got Stephon Diggs, you still got Gabe Davis. But for me, I don't feel like Davis nor Diggs. I don't feel like they've been playing great. Like I, I really don't. I look at what they were able to do against the the Chiefs. Diggs had four receptions for 24 receiving yards. Gabe Davis, he didn't even have a catch. So in order for the Buffalo Bills to win out and make the playoffs, they're going to need more production from Diggs and Gabe Davis in their receiver room. They're going to need it. Their tight ends, Knox and Kincaid and Cook in the backfield as a running back, that's not going to be enough. That's not going to be enough. Now, I do believe that James Cook, their running back, he has to be the X factor down the stretch for the Buffalo Bills. You can't just rely on Josh Allen each time you have the ball as an offense. This, this season, the Bills, they are ranked 10th in the NFL. They average 122 rushing yards per game. So that's, that's, a, that's very, very, you know, something that's great for the Buffalo Bills and something they can build upon as we get into December football and possibly them going to the playoffs. You got to be able to have a running game. James Cook has done a tremendous job, but they're going to need Stephon Diggs and Gabe Davis again to step up in this offense for them to produce at a high level. Kincaid and Knox as tight ends, they're solid, but you need Diggs and Davis. You got to have those two. Got to have those two. Now, defensively, we know Sean McDermott is known for his defense, but defensively this year, with all their injuries, no Milano, no Tredarius White, they, they're not, they haven't been great this year. They're tied for 17th on third downs. They give up 39% on third downs. They give up 341 total yards per game. That's ranked 14th. They give up 114 rushing yards. That's ranked 19th. You got to get better defensively. You got to get better. Better. You still got Von Miller on that defense. Ed Oliver, okay. They did trade for a Sue Douglas earlier this season, but they've, they've got a lot of injuries as a defense. So in order for the Bills to win games, they got to rely on Josh Allen. He, he got to rely on Josh Allen. It's really Josh Allen or bust for this Bills football team right now. And if, I, again, I would incorporate the running game, if I possibly can, and like if, if, I, if James Cook can get going, but they, they got to get Josh Allen going, and Josh Allen has to continue to play at a high level. And in the Chiefs game, they only scored three points in the second half. Three points. You're going to have to score more than three points in the second half if you're going to beat the Dallas Cowboys. So this is going to be an interesting matchup. I feel like, though, even though Josh Allen overall is better than Dak Prescott is, Dak Prescott is having a better season than Josh Allen currently is having. So with that being said, I'm rolling with Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys to beat Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. I'm going Dak 28, Josh Allen 24. Everybody go follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Right back. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Oh, 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 
And welcome to Wise Guys. These guys know sports. We're live on the World Wide Sports Network. Follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Let's transition and let's go to my favorite segment of the week. It's my NFL Week 15 Wise Picks. In Week 14, I went 6-8. and eight. The damn Packers and the Dolphins completely messed up my record for Week 14. They completely messed up my record. I, I had a 500 record going into the Monday night games, and the Packers and the Dolphins inexplicably lose to the Giants and the Titans. It was unbelievable. Hopefully I can do better in Week 15. So let's get into my NFL Week 15 last picks. Let's run them up. Let's go. Let's start off with the Saturday afternoon games. It's the Minnesota Vikings traveling here to Cincinnati to take on the Bengals at Paycar Stadium. The Bengals are favored by three points. It's a one o'clock kickoff. The over-under for this matchup is 40.5. Jake Browning has been playing some great football. But Justin Jefferson is expected to play for the Vikings. He suffered a chest injury against the Raiders last week, but the Vikings were only able to score three points against the Raiders and Nick Mullins. That's how bad it's gotten for the Minnesota Vikings without Kirk Cousins. Nick Mullins is now the quarterback for the Vikings. I think Jake Browning is better than Nick Mullins is. I believe the Bengals are currently playing better than the Vikings. I'm rolling with the Cincinnati Bengals to beat the Minnesota Vikings. Bengals 21, Vikings 17. The Indianapolis Colts are hosting the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Colts are favored by one and a half point. It's a 4.30 p.m. kickoff tomorrow. The over-under is 42.5. The Steelers are not playing good football offensively. They are hard to watch. Mitchell Trubisky, I don't understand how the hell Mitchell Trubisky still has a job. In the NFL, Gardner Minshew is significantly better than Mitchell Trubisky. Therefore, I'm rolling with the Colts to beat the Steelers in Indy. I'll go Colts 17, Steelers 10. The Denver Broncos are traveling to Detroit to take on Jared Goff and the Detroit Lions. The Lions are favored by 4.5 points. It's an 8.15 p.m. kickoff. Tomorrow night, the over-under is 47.5. The Broncos actually been playing some great football lately, and they've actually played better than the Lions have played of late. Lions had a bad loss to the Chicago Bears last week, and initially I wrote down Lions 23, Broncos 20. But I'm going to change my pick and do it in reverse. I'm rolling with the Denver Broncos in an upset. Over the Detroit Lions, I'm going Broncos 23, Lions 20. The Sunday games, the Kansas City Chiefs are traveling to New England to take on Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. The Chiefs are favored by eight and a half points. It's a one o'clock kickoff in Foxborough. The over-under is 37.5. Listen, yes, the Patriots beat the Steelers last week, but the Chiefs ain't the Steelers. So the Chiefs are going to put up some points this week. 
They are tired of hearing about the receivers and their struggles. Kadarius Toney lining up offsides cost the Chiefs a win last week against the Bills. That being said, I'm rolling with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs to beat the Patriots in Foxborough. I'll go Patrick Mahomes, 24. Bill Belichick, 13. The New York Jets are traveling down south to Miami to take on the Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins are favored by nine and a half points. It's a one o'clock kickoff in Miami. The over-under is 37.5. The Jets did beat the Texans last week. C.J. Stroud is a rookie, but Tua Tagovailoa and the Miami Dolphins offense should play better against the Jets than they did against the Titans. Tyreek Hill is questionable for this matchup. If Tyreek doesn't play, the Jets can keep this thing close. But I believe he will play, and I believe the Dolphins will win this football game. I'm going Dolphins 20, Jets 13. Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears are traveling to Cleveland. Take on Joe Flacco, of all people. Joe Flacco and the Cleveland Browns. The Browns are favored by three points. It's a 1 o'clock kickoff. The over-under for this matchup is 38.5. The Bears beat the Lions last week in impressive fashion, but the Lions' defense is nowhere as good as the Browns' defense is, and the Browns are trying to get into the playoffs in the AFC. Joe Flacco is actually playing some solid football. As old as he is, he's playing some good football. I'm rolling with the Browns to beat the Bears. Browns 21, Bears 17. That Browns defense is way better than that Lions defense. So Justin Fields, he won't have the success against the Browns that he had against the Lions. He had some success against the Lions last week. The Houston Texans are traveling to Tennessee to take on Will Levis and the Tennessee Titans. The Titans are favored by three points. It's a 1 o'clock kickoff. The over-under is 37.5. I believe the Titans will win this game. C.J. Stroud, I believe he is questionable to play in this game. I think he's dealing with the concussion. I don't know if he's out of concussion protocol. If he's not, the Texans will lose. If he plays, the Texans will win. It's that simple. So I'm going to assume he's not going to play. I'm rolling with the Titans to beat the Texans in Tennessee. I'll go Titans 23, Texans 20. The New York Giants are traveling to New Orleans to take on Derek Carr and the New Orleans Saints. The Saints are favored by five and a half points. It's a one o'clock kickoff. The over-under for this matchup is 39.5. The Saints are a better football team than the Giants are. The Saints beat the Panthers last week. They are in a wild, wild race in the NFC wild card right now. So this game means a lot to the Saints and Derek Carr. Hopefully they take care of business. I will want the Saints to beat the Giants. Saints 24, Giants 17. A NFC South battle in Carolina. The Falcons are favored by three points. They are traveling to Carolina to take on the Panthers. It's a one o'clock kickoff. The over-under for this matchup is 33.5. The Falcons are a better football team than the Panthers are. I'll go Falcons 20, Panthers 10. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are traveling to Green Bay to take on the Packers at Lambeau Field. The Packers are favored by three and a half points. It's a one o'clock kickoff. At Lambeau, the over-under for this matchup is 42.5. The Packers had a bad loss last week to the Giants. They were rolling. They had won three straight games. They had improved. 
the six and six on a season. It was just wrong place, wrong time for the Packers. Giants caught them at the right time. I expect the Packers to have a bounce back performance at Lambeau Field. Although the Buccaneers did beat the Falcons last week, 29 to 25, in impressive fashion. Baker Mayfield threw a late touchdown that won that game for the Bucs. But I think this is going to be a matchup where the Packers will have a bounce-back performance. Hopefully, Christian Watson, he may play in this game. Maybe Aaron Jones may return back from that MCL injury that he suffered a few weeks ago. I'm rolling with the Packers to beat the Bucs in a close one at Lambeau. Packers 24, Bucs 21. An NFC West battle in Arizona. The 49ers favored by 12 points. They are traveling to Arizona to take on Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals. It's a 4-5 kickoff. The over-under is 48.5. The 49ers are a better football team than the Cardinals are. This is a division game, so division games, anything can happen. But I expect the 49ers to take care of business. They are 10-3. They want to remain the number one seed in the NFC and had to roll to the Super Bowl, had to go through Santa Clara in San Francisco. I rolled with the 49ers to beat the Cardinals in Arizona. 49ers, 31. Cardinals, 17. The Washington Commanders are traveling to L.A. to take on the L.A. Rams. The Rams are favored by six and a half points. It's a 4-5 kickoff in L.A. The over-under for this matchup is 50.5. The Rams are a better football team than the Commanders are. The Rams are in the playoff hunt in the NFC, and they played a great game Last week against the Baltimore Ravens, they came up a little short in overtime. Ravens won on a game-winning putt return for a touchdown. But with Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup and Sean McVay and Aaron Donald on defense, the Rams are going to be in every football game. I'm rolling with the Rams to beat the Commanders in a high-scoring affair. I'll go Rams 27, Commanders 24. The Monday night football matchup in Seattle is the Philadelphia Eagles. Favored by three points. They're traveling to Seattle to take on the Seattle Seahawks. It's at 8.15 p.m. kickoff. The over-under for this matchup is 47.5. The Seahawks are struggling. They've lost, I believe, four straight matchups. They are clinging to their playoff hopes. I expect the Seahawks to show up and play a great game and have a great performance but it won't be enough because the Philadelphia Eagles, they lost two straight games. They are now 10-3 and three on the season. They want to finish the season out and possibly finish 14-3. and three. I expect the Eagles to take care of business, but it's going to be a competitive football game on Monday night. I'll go Eagles 27, Seahawks 21. Those are my NFL Week 15 Wise Picks. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys No Sports. Everybody have a great, great weekend. I'm Trey Larkin signing off the World Wide Sports Network. Have a great weekend, everybody. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.